Hey there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and it's a pleasure to sit down and speak with you all uh, over the airwaves this week. So this week's episode will be audio only. There's no visual aspect to it. So if you're tuning in on YouTube or Facebook saying, you know, where is this guy? You're just going to listen this week. Okay, I've got a lot of information to share. I think this would be the best format uh, to present for this week. And it's probably something you want to actually replay and hear one more time because there's a lot of details in this episode uh, that bear worth repeating. But having said that, I first want to apologize for the past few weeks that I've been MIA, um, especially to our loyal listeners that tune in every week. So as many of you have probably already seen or heard, I just came out with my latest book, which is called Anorak. So it has nothing to do with business or finance. Uh, This is just a quick shameless plug and my excuse for why I couldn't uh, put together a podcast the past few weeks. So real quick, Anorak is a great story, if I say so myself. It's really a coming-of-age novel. Um, It's it's a fantasy, so you have these mythical creatures called chickadees that live on the planet of Anorak. And as they're coming of age, they're trying to find out who their friends are, who their enemies are, amidst all this turbulence that's overtaking the planet, uh, and ultimately just trying to grow as all teenagers do. Granted, they are these little mythical creatures uh, that I think you're going to fall in love with if you read the book. So I I can't encourage you enough to go out there, uh, buy a copy. Again, it's called Anorak, available on Amazon or anywhere else that you could purchase a book. So that's my excuse of why you haven't heard from me in a few weeks. But enough of that, enough of that shameless plug. Let's get back to business. And so this week's episode, we will be talking about President Trump's tax plan versus that of the candidate and vice president, Joe Biden. So today is Thursday, October 8th. I'm sure many of you tuned in last night to the vice presidential debate, which was a much calmer, um, perhaps informative session Uh, than the previous last week's presidential debate, uh, which needless to say got pretty heated. And so as all this rhetoric starts to boil up and you have people just screaming and yelling at each other across the aisle and social media just flooding you with different opinions and all sorts of nonsense that's out there, what I do want to talk about today, again on a finance show, is going to be each candidate's stance on taxes. Okay, which is so important. This becomes a focal point every four years of what is the future going to look like financially? What do we have to be worried about? You know, the two certainties in life are death and taxes. And taxes can be very, very heavily influenced by who gets elected. All right, so that's what we're going to dive into today is where Trump stands, uh, what he's done in his first term and what he hopes to do in a second term. And then where Biden stands, all right, what he's campaigning on and what he's promising to put into play uh, if he and Kamala Harris should be elected. So just to give us a little bit of a backdrop, folks. So most recently in regards to taxes uh, was President Trump's historic Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, also known as the TCJA, which was passed in 2017. Feels like yesterday. I can't believe that was three years ago. Uh, But this was one of the largest tax reforms in history, 
okay? And he credits this tax plan for unleashing the American economy, all right? And some of the things that you'll hear President Trump cite is that the GDP grew over 3% in four separate quarters of his administration, uh, which is some very, very high growth within just a one a period of one quarter. And again, that happened four times so far in his uh, administration. They also had the lowest unemployment level in over 50 years, leading up, of course, to COVID-19, which just kind of sent the whole world through a shock. So those are a couple of things that you're going to hear a lot about from the Trump administration is how the economy was booming, you know, hitting all sorts of records. The stock market was roaring, uh, all these different great things that were going on up until 2020 um, and supposedly led by his historic tax cuts and jobs act. Okay. So as we talk about, you know, the pros and cons today, you'll notice that his campaign isn't really laying out a formal tax plan. Uh, it's more trying to preserve the reforms that they've already put in place uh, through their act in 2017. On the flip side, we have Vice President Biden, who has laid out a clear tax plan, uh, as, as is often done by the challenger, to say, hey, if we're elected, of course, we're going to shake things up and we want change, as every new president does. So we'll talk a lot about what he wants because there's a lot of details there. Um, but just to maybe tackle the simpler of the two here, uh, we'll start with Trump because we already know a lot of what's in play. And what he'll be wanting to do is maintain what he's already done. So how he can prolong the tax cuts and job acts and really its staple reforms. Uh, we'll talk about three things that were really key there. The first was going to be income tax. Okay. So Donald Trump uh, initially campaigned four years ago on simplifying the tax code that it had become so onerous. Nobody even really knows how to navigate through it. Uh, and it just takes a ton of time and money and oversight, uh, both from the government and from corporate America, even individuals, to simply try and get these returns all processed and filed. So what the Trump tax plan did, uh, again, we're talking about the past now, over the past four years, is it simplified our tax code into seven tax brackets, okay? And it lowered the top tax rate to 37%. Okay, so the highest earners in America today are paying a marginal tax of 37%. All right. And again, just to take a step back and kind of offer as a refresher to everybody, we have a marginal tax system in America, which means if I'm in the 37% tax bracket, I don't pay 37% on every dollar that I earn. It's only those earnings that exceed that next threshold that get hit at the higher rate. Everything below that is hit at its respective rates, uh, irregardless of what money I earn above and beyond that, okay? So that was step one, simplified the tax code, seven brackets, top one, 37%. Also, another thing that Trump did that a lot of Americans felt, uh, and it, it simplified a lot for, for the average Joe out there, if you will, is raising the standard deduction, or I should say was raising the standard deduction. So the Trump tax plan or the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act raised it to $12,400 for singles and $24,800 for those married filing jointly. All right, those are the figures as of today for 2020. 
All right. So what that means is if I'm not itemizing my tax return and I just claim the standard deduction, if I'm a single guy or gal, right off the top, I get a $12,400 deduction. All right. That's essentially a subtraction from my income when I compute how much tax I owe. And then conversely, if I'm married, again, that's double. That would be 24800 that comes right off the top. Okay. The next really big impactful thing that everybody could point to would be the corporate tax. Okay. Prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, America had a 35% corporate tax rate, uh, which was one of the highest tax rates uh, in the industrialized world. Okay. Uh, Trump, <clears throat> excuse me, was able to cut that from 35 down to a flat 21% uh, corporate tax. And that's something you'll often hear him tout about of putting more money back into the corporations uh, that they can use for reinvestment, expansion, paying their workers, and so on and so forth. So like I said, there's really no formal tax plan for the second term of Trump's candidacy. Um, but that's what he wants to do is try and prolong all those measures. And a couple things that he has uh, promised, as many politicians do, but not necessarily put down in formal writing, uh, would be to repeal Obamacare. Okay, He's talked about that for a long time. Repeal and replace Obamacare. Hasn't been super clear on what the replace part would be. Um, but what that would do would also eliminate the 3.8% surtax on net investment income. Okay, Trump also wants to lower the top capital gains rate uh, from 20% down to 15%. Okay, so that what that means is that our highest earners, when they have a capital gain on an asset, when they sell a stock or something like that that's been held over a year, they will be subject to a 20% tax on that gain. Also could uh, incur the 3.8% surtax on top of that. So ideally, from Trump's standpoint, the 3.8% surtax would go away with Obamacare and that top rate would be lowered. Uh, so what effectively could be 23.8% would now do go down to 15% on a capital gain. Okay. Another thing that he's publicly discussed many times, uh, but hasn't really gotten into the specifics, is a middle class tax cut. Okay, so he wants to cut taxes for the middle class as well. Uh, and experts out there, if you, you do a little research, are thinking that that would effectively lower the 22% tax bracket down to about 15% or raise the income limits to effectively achieve the same outcome where uh, those folks would kind of be shifted down uh, into the 15% income tax bracket, okay? So that's uh, Trump's stance. Uh, he came in in 2016, said we need to cut red tape and we need to cut taxes. He certainly did both. Uh, you can argue if that was good or bad, um, you know, what it, what it did to national debt. Uh, some might have a problem with, but are we catching up with the expansion and growth of the economy with those GDP numbers that I mentioned earlier? Uh, so you could probably argue either side of that uh, leading up to 2020, where the world, again, just kind of went haywire with the coronavirus. But now we have Vice President Joe Biden, who has entered the mix, and he does have a formal tax plan that he's campaigning on and he shared it with the public 
And just so everybody knows real quick, you can get most of the information I'm sharing today uh, either on www.joebiden.com. That's the information I'm about to share in a moment. Uh, And the previous info I already shared is all pretty much on irs.gov, okay, because that's actual formal law. Uh, Some of the ideas of, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the future, that was from Donald Trump's website as well, okay. But let's get back to uh, Joe Biden, or as he just likes to be called, Joe. So Joe Biden is our challenger here. Uh, He has a theme in his campaign regarding taxes that simply says it's time the rich pay their fair share. All right. And along with that, he does fit in a promise that anyone making under $400,000 will not pay a penny more in taxes than they do today. All right. So those are the, the kind of two staples of Joe Biden's platform. It's time the rich start paying up. But if you're making under $400,000, don't worry, you're going to stay where you are today. Okay, and now to get into some of the details here so you can see the contrast between Biden and Trump. So what Biden wants to do in respect to capital gains, okay, he wants investment income to be taxed as ordinary income for those that are earning over a million dollars a year. Okay, so where Trump is saying, I want to lower capital gains, you know, top rate down to 15 percent. Joe Biden has said, I want to increase capital gains taxation up to the highest income tax brackets for folks that are making over a million dollars a year. All right. So that's a a huge contrast right there. Then on the corporate tax. okay, like I said before, the Tax Cuts and Job Acts uh, Act cut it from 35 percent down to 21. Joe Biden would like to increase that now from 21 percent to 28 percent. Okay, so increasing the corporate tax, and he'd also like to penalize uh, American companies that shift jobs overseas with an additional tax, um, which hasn't quite been disclosed yet. All right, so that could certainly generate revenue, but the flip side, you know, in, in every equation is well, what will that do to overall business and expansion of our economy? Uh, as we generate more revenue to the government, but take more money off the table from the private sector. Then we have income tax. So Biden wants to revert to the pre-tax cut and jobs tax rates, uh, the highest rate of 39.6%. He would like that to be enacted. Uh, And one of the big changes is he would like to add Social Security tax back on any income that exceeds $400,000. Okay. As we stand today in 2020, the Social Security tax is felt by every worker in America um, or just about, you know, there are some exempt, I shouldn't say that, but, but by the overwhelming majority of workers pay their FICA tax, all right, their social security tax from income all the way up to $137,700. So many people that make above and beyond that, they might realize that once they eclipse $137,700, their paycheck actually gets a little bit bigger. And the reason being is once they've gone over that income, they're no longer having that social security tax withheld anymore. All right. I get that question a lot as the financial advisors. Hey, I'm halfway through the year. My paycheck just went up. Well, that means, you know, that they already made that 137 in the first half of the year or whatever it might be. So again, what Biden wants to do is essentially create a donut hole saying, all right, you pay social security tax up to 137, 
all right, as we always have or are doing currently, and then you no longer have social security tax anymore, but then once your your wages exceed 400,000, that in, that uh, social security tax comes back into play and you'll begin kicking more money into the social security system uh, for folks who are making over 400 grand a year. Another really big change that Biden wants to do is in regards to death taxes. All right, as we stand today, the estate tax credit, the federal estate tax credit is $11.58 million. All right, what that means is if you pass away and your estate is it worth less than 11.58, you do not owe any federal estate tax. Joe Biden wants to essentially cut that almost in half down to $5.79 million. Um, so that obviously can have a lot of impact on people with an estate somewhere in the middle there. And probably the much more impactful thing, and I think that you're going to hear a lot about, especially if you follow finance, is Biden would like to eliminate the step up in basis at death. All right, we could do an entire show on that one uh, aspect of his plan. What a step up in basis is, is when somebody has a capital gain that is unrealized in their lifetime and then passes away, all right, as the law is written today, the beneficiary has the opportunity to step up their basis, okay, on that unrealized gain and essentially say, okay, my basis is whatever that asset is worth today, okay? So just to provide kind of a quick example, and again, I am not providing tax advice today. I'm just laying the framework here. I'm a financial advisor. I'm not a accountant. Um, but just to, again, go back to this point, let's say that we have, you know, mom is in her 80s now. She's living in a house that's worth $500,000, but she bought it 45 years ago for 60 grand, okay? So she bought this house for $60,000, lived in it, you know, all of her adult life, and now she's 80 years old or whatever. It's worth 600 grand, and she passes away, and she leaves it to her one surviving son, all right? So then that son will, as it stands today, will not owe tax on that asset, that essentially, what's that going to be, $540,000 gain will not be felt. It will not be realized because the basis of that asset steps up to the current value of six hundred grand today. All right. So that is a tremendous way that a lot of people are able to transfer wealth in a very efficient manner um, through capital assets, all right? like non-qualified investment accounts, real estate, things like that. Biden wants to completely eliminate that, meaning that now that child or that son, that, that adult child, I guess I should say, inherits mom's house and now is going to be subject to a $540,000 capital gain on that asset. Okay, So if that ever comes to fruition, you are going to hear a lot more about that, I promise. And while we're in the theme of real estate, again, some more of the uh, Biden uh, recommendations here. He wants to eliminate the 1031 like kind exchange for people earning over 400 grand. That's for real estate investors that often sell one property and then take all those proceeds to parlay it into another property and they pay no tax on any gain that was there. Um, he wants to get rid of that. Then we'll talk a little bit about deductions. Okay, so Biden would like to limit itemized deductions for people making over 400,000. 
And he also wants to eliminate what's called the qualified business income or the QBI deduction for pass-through entities, uh, which would be partnerships, sole props, LLCs, uh, a lot of small businesses out there. When they have income over 400 grand, they're going to lose that deduction. Now, on the other side of the coin, kind of helping, I guess you could say, the American people, Biden wants to introduce a number of tax credits or increase existing ones. On the family side, he wants to increase the child tax credit uh, from 2000 to 3000 and actually up to 3600 for children that are under six years old. He wants to further increase the child and de- dependent care credit uh, for low and middle income families from 3000 to 8000 per child. Okay, so that would be up to 16000 in total when you have two or more children. He wants to introduce health care tax credits so that no American out there is paying more than 8.5% of their income for health insurance premiums. He also wants to come up with some sort of credits for uh, people who buy long-term care insurance and those who stay home to take care of elderly loved ones, uh, perhaps an ailing spouse or mom or dad. And he also wants to bring back a first-time homebuyer tax credit Uh, to the amount of about $15,000, which could be advanced so that that person can actually use that $15,000 at the closing table of buying their first home. All right, so that was kind of the skinny on Joe Biden's plan. Obviously, there's a lot of changes there. Um, Overall theme, again, uh, the rich, it's time for them to pay their share. So as we try to think a little bit of, you know, some of the pros and cons of what I just laid out for everybody, you know, again, all voters have to take into account their own situation. All right. But then we want to start to think about, you know, the math involved in all this and how it's going to play out for us and our fellow Americans. And I know that can be really tough with all the politicking going on, um, these debates where it's just interrupting and screaming at each other and all this craziness. Uh, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I encourage you to go back to either a platform like this or directly to the source uh, to try and figure out what is each candidate or each administration proposing and how's that going to affect me, okay? But you need to think critically about these issues. Uh, for instance, during some of my research here, you know, Joe Biden has quoted right on his campaign website, And I quote, in Trump's America, a working family making $65,000 a year will pay 22% on every extra dollar they earn, not including payroll taxes, while billionaires will pay just 15% on their profits from investments. While the second part of that statement may be accurate, the first part, it can be a little bit deceiving there. As it stands right now, a married filing jointly couple will not pay 22% until they've earned over $105,051. So that's pretty far from $65,000 that was quoted there. Furthermore, uh, Representative Kevin Brady from Texas and Trump's National Economic Council Director, Larry Kudlow, have proposed that the 22% bracket would be lowered to 15% in a second term. So we'll wait to see on that, but you just want to look uh, closely at these things. So again, look at the math is, is all that I'm asking here. And the other thing that we want to think about, again, keeping these two plans in mind, is that Americans have to understand that reform is going to have two impressions on their finances. 
the first, of course, is that immediate tax impact. Am I going to, ki- to keep more of what I earn or less of it? The second thing, which could be even more important, is what is the f- effect on the overall economy? Okay. So what Biden wants to do is help the lower and middle class and have the rich pay their share. That's, that's what he continues to uh, reiterate. However, the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center, uh, which is a great resource, you know, bipartisan resource uh, that, you know, shares information on pretty much all things tax. Uh, in their models of both tax plans, they have said that Americans in every tax bracket would realize a lower after-tax income in Joe Biden's plan. And the reason for that, of course, it would be a much lower after-tax income for the higher earners that Biden wants to tax more heavily. Uh, But there's also a smaller uh, subtraction or deficit for even the lower earners. And the reason being is in the Brookings Institute, in their model, it assumes that 60% of corporate tax is borne by the shareholders, okay? 20% of that is borne by the capital owners, and then the other 20% of that is felt by the labor force and the wages that they actually receive. So that goes back to the concept of, well, if we raise the corporate tax now from 21% to 28%, do corporations just eat that loss that they now have to pay in greater taxes and everybody else in the country, you know, continues unaffected? In reality, these corporations, of course, don't operate in a bubble. And so what their model essentially is saying is that everybody would be affected by that higher tax in some way, shape or form. Here, they're positing that that would be a negative Uh, And for a lot of those folks that are the lower to middle class that work at any of these companies are going to feel that trickle down either through now not getting paid as much or conversely, they then may end up buying goods and services that cost a little bit more. Okay, so essentially what that means is the corporations, uh, they don't just want to eat the loss. Okay, they would pass that on to their customers and then to their workforce. Okay, so that we all share in that higher cost of doing business, which could then be a higher cost of living. Okay, and that's again, that's that's not me. That's the Urban Brookings Institute uh, on their model of the two different plans. So some things I want to share again, these are not recommendations, but these are things to be aware of. Should we have a changing of the guard uh, where Joe Biden and his ticket do get elected this fall? So some things that you're probably going to see is companies rushing to accelerate any income they can into 2020 uh, to take advantage of, of course, what would be lower tax rates. You're also probably going to hear about potential Roth conversions. People saying right now I'm in what could be a very low tax bracket compared to the next administration and anything thereafter. Why don't I just kind of swallow my medicine today, convert some of my retirement money to Roth, I'll pay the taxes right now and then be assured of tax-free money moving forward. Uh, And you're probably going to just find a whole slew of different tax planning strategies to try and get people under that magic $400,000 of income. Uh, And you're also going to see different investment approaches, perhaps more municipal bonds, less dividend-paying stocks, uh, things of this nature that could be a little bit more tax-friendly which would get a little more uh, delta or or bang for your buck, I should say, 
uh, because of you know going into a higher tax climate uh, on that type of investment income. Okay, and then again, probably the biggest one that we might see, you know, if it ever came to fruition, would be felt at death with that elimination of step up and basis. Um, again, that would affect every person, every walk of life uh, that's a beneficiary. Okay. So whether it's capital gains on an enormous portfolio that, you know, grandma and grandpa built up, or it's a capital gains just on mom and dad's, you know, house that, you know, they, the kids decide to sell when they come into it. So that, that will definitely be a big one. All right. So I think both candidates here, guys, are obviously sticking with their party's mantra. Uh, Trump wants to lower taxes and, you know, says that there will be a smaller government more of a capitalistic approach. Biden wants higher taxes and more government, more government help, uh, which of course, I don't want to say socialist, but it's uh, not that that should be a naughty word in kind of today's universe, but it's certainly the uh, opposite of Trump's slightly more capitalistic stance. So stay tuned on this. I know taxes are constantly a moving target. It can be frustrating, but pay mind to it. Try and get the straight talk. Try and read directly from the resource or re-listen to this episode. And just understand that, you know, this is going to impact all of us. And that's why so often on my show here and with clients, I talk about not only diversifying your investments and their risk, but also diversifying the types of assets and the types of accounts that you hold so that in the future, wherever life throws us, we have options and we have different buckets that we could tap and different strategies that we could uh, deploy uh, based on how we've uh, created our financial plan, all right? Because we don't know what the future holds, all right? You look at past tax charts, uh, since we've had federal income tax even in 1913 to where we are today, I mean, we went way high through the roof from 1913 up into the 50s and 60s. And then steadily dropped to right now we are in a historically low tax environment. Uh, But that's not to say that Biden gets elected. uh, Things change here in our economy that taxes certainly can't go up again in the future and then maybe come back down after that. So uh, definitely buckle up, stay tuned, and please keep following the show. Share it with your friends. Leave us a review. If you have other topics you want to hear, uh, just email us at thecadernapodcast at gmail.com and we'll get more and more content out there for you. All right, thanks guys. Until next week, I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, signing off and have a good one. Bye-bye. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Pass. 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through Pass, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. 9 
973-244-4420. Financial representative, The Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Pass is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.